You know, all of our relationships involve some in spite of. Whether we're talking about family or friends, we love people in spite of some things about them because they are not perfect. It's true in friendships, true in family, true in our family. My wife and daughters, at least I think, love me in spite of some things that I know about myself, right? I know that, well, if I get a little too hungry, I might get a little too grouchy as well, right? They love me in spite of that. I am not believe it or not, the most fun-loving person that ever existed on the face of the earth in spite of my socks, but my family loves me in spite of that, right? Um, I'm not the handiest guy around the house, and my family loves me in spite of that. You don't have to seek them out to extend that list, but I know at least those, right? But we're all that way because of our shortcomings, because of some stuff we know about ourselves, the people in our lives love us in spite of that stuff. And what we're thinking about this month as we begin this year together is the fact that God loves us in spite of some things that we may not love about ourselves and some things going on in our lives that we may not like as well. And today, I want us to look at sort of one specific part of this big picture, and that's that God loves us in spite of sort of the circumstances of our lives, our place in life, right? And we may think, man, there's some, some stuff that I don't like going on in my life. Some, thing, some bad stuff has happened, and I'm not sure that God loves me because I see that happening. I want us to think about the fact that God loves us in spite of all that. Now, you know, we've all been through a day where we said, man, that, that was a day, right? It was one of those days. Got up late because the alarm didn't go off, poured, poured a coffee on our shirt. That was a white shirt. Looks terrible the rest of the day. Running late. We get to work. Our boss, client, customers not happy with something we've done. Caught in traffic. Late for something else. Burned supper. And we just get to the end of the day and go, what did I do to deserve that? Like, where did I mess up that I deserve for my day to go like that? Now, we think about that in terms of a day, but my guess is there might have even been some seasons in your life where things were sort of messed up. Financially, emotionally, work-related, family, friends, church, and we went, what did I do to deserve some of that stuff going on in my life? Especially when it's more than one of those things, right? And that sort of betrays some thinking that goes like this. These bad things are a sign that God is angry with me. Like it must be that I've done something to make God mad and all this mess in my life is God's punishment or maybe God's abandonment of my life because I messed up. And that leads to us feeling guilty and uncertainty and all these things that are going on because life is not like we want it to be. Now, that kind of thinking is not new. In fact, people have been thinking that since the beginning of time. As we look back in history, we see from the very beginning that when people dealt with bad stuff happening in their lives, one of the most common reactions is, okay, God or the gods, if they believed in more than one God, are angry with me because of something I've done. So, I need to offer a sacrifice. I need to do something for the God of my nation or the God of my city or these household gods or my ancestors. I've done something wrong and I've got to appease the gods. And sometimes we feel that way about the one true God, even as Christians. 
But I really believe that as we just sung about, we worship and serve a really good God who is faithful to us. And if we look in scripture, what we find is maybe we need to correct some thinking, not correct God. And to do that, I want us to turn to the book of 2 Timothy. Now, in this series, we're going to park sort of in Paul's letters to Timothy. Last week, I set out that Paul and Timothy are close. Sometimes Timothy is one of Paul's traveling companions. Paul wrote to Timothy. We have these two letters. He's a mentor in faith and life and ministry. So they're very close. But the letters are a little different because 2 Timothy has a different tone from 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, this may well be the last of Paul's letters that we have, chronologically the last one written. Paul is arrested, he's in prison, miserable circumstances, falsely accused, facing the possibility of the death penalty. I mean, Paul is in a precarious position when he writes the second letter, and in some ways he's explaining how he feels about all that, okay? So Paul opens the letter, much like he did the first letter to Timothy and a lot of his letters, talking about the blessings of the gospel and how God is at work in him, all right? And then he lays out some responsibilities and then his response to his circumstances, okay? So let's see what he says. So we're going to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. And of this gospel, the gospel of Jesus... I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. So Paul says, I've got three roles relative to the gospel. First of all, a herald. What is a herald? A herald is someone who announces something, okay? We're used to having the news, but in ancient times, the news went out by a herald. They went out and they just spoke what was going on, okay? So it could be translated just as well, preacher. So Paul is responsible for proclaiming the message of Jesus to people who didn't know it. And that's what he did. He went all over the Mediterranean world, sort of announcing the good news of Jesus to people who hadn't heard it, especially to Gentiles. So that's one role. Paul's also appointed by Jesus as an apostle. What does that mean? That means he's an important leader in the ancient church. And so as he spread the gospel, people would look to him for insight and direction. And then he's also, third, a teacher. And so what does a teacher do? A teacher in the church explains what people should believe and how they should act as Christians. So a herald, an apostle, a teacher. Three roles Paul is called to fill by God. Now this explains some of the stuff that's going on in his life. Verse 12. That is why I am suffering. Now think about what he's saying there. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Now, why in the world would Paul feel shame about this? Well, in the ancient world, if you were in prison, it was a humiliating experience. The conditions were terrible, all right, and you were totally dependent on other people to provide for you. In other words, the prison system didn't provide. You had to have people bring you food, clothes, everything you needed in prison. It was a humiliating experience, and people would have said, both Christians and non-Christians, Paul's enemies, okay, would have said, Paul thinks he's so much, but now he's been humbled. And he must have done something wrong. 
because he's been such an important leader and he's done such great things, and now look where he is. It seems to me that he's done something bad and God has abandoned him. And so everyone was expecting that Paul would feel shame because of what he's experienced. Paul says, no. The reason I'm experiencing this is not because I've done something wrong. Now, Paul is not claiming to be perfect here, but what he's saying is this is not a result of disobedience. God has not abandoned me. God is not punishing me. In fact, the reason this has happened is because I've been faithful. Now, you see, that turns some of our thinking on its head. Because what we sort of assume Maybe even we know it's not fully true, but it's in our thinking is that if I do what God has asked me to do, my life is going to be easy. God's going to take care of me. God's going to provide all that I need and want. I'm going to have the life that I want if I just follow God. The problem is the Bible never says that. In fact, Paul is saying here, sometimes you serve God. Sometimes you do what's right. And that's the cause of your suffering. And in fact, we can look back in Christian history for 2,000 years and see that there have been plenty of people who, because they were faithful to God, it cost them their lives. Following God didn't make it easier. It made it more difficult. And the reason for their suffering was not a lack of faithfulness or a disobedience, but it was caused by faithfulness and obedience to God. Now, that's not a message we really want to hear, right? I mean, we want to hear, if I do things right, God's going to take care of me, everything's going to be easy. But it just doesn't work that way. In fact, what Paul says is it's more like this. I've taken everything that God's given me, my life, what I have, and I have put it on deposit with God. So Paul spent his life serving Jesus, serving the gospel. And what he's counting on is not that God's going to make life easy now, but that there will be eternal reward. So it is worth giving up this life for eternity with God. So God is faithful and God is good, but that doesn't mean God always makes things easy right now. But it does mean God is faithful. And it does mean he takes care of us and in the end, we'll make things right. That's the promise that we have. Paul continues this and sort of tells Timothy, follow my example in verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. So just keep doing what I've done with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit, that's the same kind of language, that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He says, it's sort of like this, God has put deposit in your life. He's given you something, and that's the ability to serve. Now you put it back to God and be just as faithful as I have been. Now, Paul leaves that with, with Timothy, and he goes on to talk about several other things in the letter. But he comes back to this same kind of thinking as we come down to chapter 3, verse 10. This is what he says. You, Timothy, however, know all about... My teaching. And then we have this list of things. My way of life, my purpose. Now remember, Timothy had been with Paul. He knew Paul very well. So yes, he knew all these things. Faith, patience, love, endurance, all these good things that are part, are part of Paul's life. And then the list takes a turn. Persecutions, sufferings, 
What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Timothy, you know the goodness, the faithfulness of God. And you know the great things that have happened in my life, the ministry that has taken place because I've been willing to give God that deposit of my life. But you also know the suffering and the persecution. You've seen that too. And you've seen that God is faithful even in that. It is not a sign of God's unfaithfulness, but the fact that God walks with us through those things is a sign that God is faithful. And then these words, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You notice Paul doesn't say might be, maybe, could be, will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul is making it as clear as possible to Timothy that just because bad things happen, you shouldn't assume that God has abandoned you. You shouldn't assume that somehow you have displeased God and he no longer cares about what's going on in your life. In fact, it may be that because you are serving him faithfully, you have some difficulty. But what you can be sure of is that God is there with you through it all, even to the point of death. God stands with you. So as I think about these passages, the way Paul teaches here in 2 Timothy, what I learn is that your circumstances don't reflect or dictate God's opinion of you. That's a mouthful. Your circumstances, what's going on in your life, your place in life, don't dictate or reflect God's opinion of you. They're saying two important things there. First of all, whatever's going on in your life, you can't assume that reflects how God is thinking about you. So if, li if life is great, you must think, hey, well, I must be doing something right, right? I must be doing good things. God's happy with me. He's blessing me. Well, God is blessing you. But Paul's pretty clear here that sometimes evildoers and imposters have it easy. That doesn't mean God's happy. God does bless us, and we should be thankful for that, but it's not always a reward for doing something right. God just loves us, and God is good, and he does bless us. But on the other hand, we shouldn't assume that just because something goes bad, God is unhappy with me, because sometimes life is just hard. And it's not necessarily a curse from God because something happens that's bad. Jesus made this same point. It's not just Paul. If we turn back over to John chapter 9, we have this story in which Jesus is sort of traveling with his disciples. They come upon a man who is born blind. He has never seen anything, okay? And his disciples ask a question that would have been really common in the ancient world. Okay, Jesus, somebody did something wrong for this man to be born this way. Who was it? Was it his parents that God has punished them by giving them a child who can't see. I mean, they're facing punishment because they did something wrong. Or was it this man who sinned? Now, that one I don't understand, how the man sinned in the womb to be born blind, but they're saying, hey, it's got to be one or the other. So, Jesus, what's the answer? Did his parents sin or did he? Here's Jesus' answer. 
Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So when something bad happens in your life, the temptation might be to think, who sinned? But it might be that Jesus' answer to your question is not that this is the result of sin, but that God's work might be displayed in your life. Whatever is happening that is uncomfortable, unpleasant, maybe just downright terrible, is an opportunity for God to be at work in your life in a way that you can't expect. Your circumstances are not a reflection of God's opinion of you. And they don't dictate what God thinks of you either. Because sometimes we make a, a very similar error in saying that, man, my life's a mess. I mean, it's not really all my fault. Some of it is, but there's just some things that have happened that these circumstances are awful, and I don't see how God could possibly use my life the way it is to do anything. But your circumstances don't reflect what God can do or will do in your life. We're talking about God here. We're talking about an all-powerful, all-knowing being that we can't fully understand. And it just might be that the circumstances of your life that feel really unpleasant at, at the moment are God's opportunity to do something great. So today, don't assume because you're going through something really difficult that God is mad at you. In fact, it might be because you're faithful to him that you're experiencing whatever it is that's going on. But what we do know is that you're, if you're suffering for some reason today, if, if things are not going the way that you planned or hoped or wished, God is not finished. And as you keep putting your life on deposit with him, God may do some great things that you don't expect. And what you can be sure of is that in eternity, there's a reward for that faithfulness. Let's pray together. God, life's not always easy, and we, don't, we, we just don't always understand why things happen the way they do. In fact, some of our most difficult questions involve why these bad things happen. God, we're thankful for Paul's message and Jesus' message that you can be at work in all of those things and you can do powerful things regardless of the circumstances, the place that we find ourselves in. And so God, we pray that you would. And we pray that in all of that, you will show us your presence so that your presence in our lives is confirmed to us in a clear way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.